2. Uh, this morning, y'all get a taste of what we looked at in RUF this spring. We did the books of Jonah and Ruth, and I loved both series. Uh, Ruth was probably more enjoyable uh, to study because I was just bowled over by the steadfast love just thread throughout the, the book. I mean, it's also in Jonah. It's throughout the Bible. But I uh, wanted to give you all a taste of that this morning. But as we approach the text, have you ever shadowed someone? Have you ever uh, followed them? Maybe when you were in high school or college or after college, you know, or maybe you made a career change and you thought, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, you know, I can follow him or her around and see what they do. Uh, I kind of enjoy doing that, uh, living a day in the life of uh, you know, a friend, or I remember visiting my brother when he was in seminary and I was still in college and I wanted to go to seminary at that point and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I did his laundry. I went to class with him. Uh, and yeah, just kind of entered into his life. I remember an episode of The Wonder Years, uh, the show from the 90s, where Kevin goes to work with his dad one day. And man, it's probably the most impactful episode that I remember because his dad would always leave in the morning chipper and he would come home kind of beaten down, and Kevin actually goes to work with him, and he's like, oh, wow, I see all that my dad goes through uh, every day, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a hard job. Uh, but I, I say all that, uh, you know, this idea of a day in the life, because we are going to enter the life of Ruth. Chapter 1 is really where we see you know, Naomi and uh, Elimelech, their family, they really leave, like, uh, a lot of... God's people, whether literally or figuratively, during the time of the judges, they turn from God. The word turn, by the way, is all over chapter 1. If you looked at the Hebrew, the word shub is just all over the place. Because the, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, they are not following God. And Elimelech and Naomi are, are literally like, let's get out of here. Rather than repenting, rather than turning to God, uh, why don't we just go somewhere else? Let's go to Moab. We hear things are nice there. So they go to Moab. Well, during that time, Elimelech and Naomi's sons marry Moabite women. One of those women, her name is Ruth. And when everybody else dies, Naomi and Ruth return. Again, there's that word shub that's used. They return uh, to uh, God's people and God's place. At the end of chapter 1, we read, Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So chapter 1 covers years. Chapter 2 really zeroes in on one day. It's a very significant day, but it is a day in the life of Ruth. So let's look at God's word together. Uh, Actually, before we do, let me pray for us, and then we'll read all of chapter 2 together. Lord, bless the reading of your word and bless our time in it. Uh, May it bring you glory and may it do us good. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we ask that you bless uh, our time together and the remainder of this worship service. We offer up all these things to you, our lives to you, in the name of Jesus now, amen. Chapter 2 of Ruth says this, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, 
who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reaper answered and said, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out some for her, some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. It's a lot. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left over after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Y'all, the, gla- the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, I forgot to mention at the end of chapter, or in chapter one, one of the big reasons why uh, Naomi and Boaz, Naomi and Elimelech leave is a, is a, a, a famine. But it's a famine because of disobedience. I think it's clear that God's people are not following him. He, he, 
you know, planned to bless them, promised to bless them. But there's a spiritual famine that, that leads to a literal famine. And if you've read the Judges, it's just this spiral. And so it's the time of the Judges in the book of Ruth. The people are in uh, rebellion. And rather than returning in their hearts uh, to God, Naomi and Elimelech are like, let's just go to another place. So they're really uh, running from God in chapter 1. And God uses their their disobedience. He turns it around uh, and does something beautiful with it. But that juxtaposed with the harvest here, uh, I think, is very clear. So uh, in chapter 1, Naomi actually says, call me Mara. God has dealt bitterly with me. I'm empty. I love that nobody does. Like, nobody calls her Mara because God is just like, I'm about to bless you. I'm about to wake you up. I'm about to uh, work in your heart. But in chapter 1, they're returning uh, to uh, Bethlehem, and she's like, she tries to get rid of both her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah goes back to Moab. Uh, Ruth is like, no, 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 I'm not like I, I was anymore. I'm with you. Your God's my God. Your people are my people. That's what Boaz kind of recognizes. But uh, the very last verse that I read tells us the, the barley season is, is about to begin. So we have empty right next to full. And the author of Ruth, he's inviting tension into story. Naomi says she's empty, but there's about to be a harvest of some kind. What's going on? Maybe you have gone into a situation uh, and you felt empty or depleted. Uh, John, there might be Sundays where you walk into this pulpit and you're tired and you're you know, discouraged from the week. Or you just had to discipline one of your kids and you're like, man, Lord, I think Spurgeon, uh, every time he approached the pulpit, he, he prayed, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes he, well, a lot of times probably, he felt inadequate. I don't know how you came to church this morning. Uh, but if you're feeling empty or depleted, discouraged, uh, I hope this, this text hits you. Uh, I hope our time in Ruth 2 reminds you God cares for you. He will provide for you just like he provides for Naomi and Ruth. And I, like I mentioned a, a minute ago, everything in this chapter with kind of just the end, uh, when it says she stays to the end of these two seasons uh, and lives with Naomi, all of it happens in one day. Uh, so the, the author is slowing down a whole lot to highlight uh, this day in the life of Ruth. So we're just going to look at it chronologically, uh, which is how I like to do it, uh, you know, or just walk through the text. And we have morning, afternoon, and evening. That's the outline. And I'll give you a little bit more uh, with each uh, portion of verses. But verses 1 to 7 really do deal with the morning. Uh, I don't know how you started your day, but it's clear from verse 2 that Ruth is ready and willing to go to work. She is hopeful that someone out there will be kind to her and let her glean from their field. And what she says in verse 2 is actually uh, in reference to a law within God's theocracy. Let me read verse 2 again. Um, It says, The Moabites said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one whose sight I might find favor. So there was a law, and I'll read it to you. It's from Leviticus 19, that people who were needy, uh, um, widows like these or other needy people could, could gather around the edges uh, what, was, what was left over, basically. It says this in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, 
I am the Lord your God. This is God providing for the needy, right? Um, But remember, this is not Ruth's home culture. She's from Moab. So she still knew to this idea of how these uh, Jewish laws work. And so she's thinking, I'm going to go. I'm going to do my best. Man, I really hope they're following these laws. And remember, this is a time of rebellion. Like, there might be some fear in her heart. But she's thinking, I don't know, but I have to try. My mother, my mother-in-law is getting older. I want to go out. I want to work. I want to serve my mother-in-law and help put food on the table. We've got to commend her for that. So what does she do? She says, please let me go. And I love that. Her showing, showing honor and respect to her mother-in-law, you know, who has gotten older. Uh, at one point in chapter one, uh, she says to Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, I'm too old to have a husband. So she's, you know, she's getting up in age. But she's one of the main reasons that Ruth is back in Bethlehem. Even though Elimelech's family was running from God in chapter 1, you know, they somehow did evangelize and share you know, the truth about Yahweh with Ruth. And now Ruth feels indebted uh, to her mother-in-law, and she's like, we're family. I'm with you. And you continue to see that play out in the rest of the book as Ruth shows honor and respect to her mother-in-law. But I love that she's like, can I please go to work? And I, I know that Naomi would be in a much tougher situation if Ruth were not willing to go out to work. But Ruth loves her, Ruth is committed to her, and Ruth heads out the door bright and early. And, I mean, look at the text. Does she show up and think, man, this is too much. I'm too tired. Does she get distracted? Does she bail for any reason? No, we learn in verse 7, she got there early in the morning and she hasn't stopped except to take a little break. By verse 7, it is, it's basically midday. It's time for a meal, and we're going to see in just a minute, after the lunch break, she returns and she works to sundown. What is going on? Like, she just got to this new place. She did not return. This is a new place, a new people, new laws, a new way of life for her. How is she so determined? Well, I said it just a minute ago, but she is not the same woman that she was back in Moab. She knows Yahweh as her God now, and his love for her is her motivation to sacrifice for others, to trust God, and to work in response to his love and his care and his provision for her. This first point, I, I said morning, but it's really returning in faithfulness. It is, it is walking by faith. You know, it, it's not easy to get up in the morning. You think, oh man, my kid woke up uh, in the middle of the night, which has happened to us a lot lately. And I'm tired. I didn't get a full night's rest. Many of you moms wake up with your kids in the middle of the night. And it's hard to get up and and, and do whatever you have for the day. But man, being reminded that I am, am called today not to plan out the next year of my life, but I'm called just to today to, re, to return and to respond in faithfulness to God who has provided for me. I think Ruth is doing that here. And it's beautiful. If I were her, I would be scared. But I I might also be excited for what God had for me that day. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm living in this community of believers. And she is excited to see what God has for her. I want to challenge you, and I challenge myself. I want to remind us that these opening verses about the mundane work day uh, apply to us too. How is God calling you to walk by faith, to work by faith, 
to head into the mundane, not expecting miracles necessarily, but doing what we can to honor God and our neighbor. I was just thinking about Pentecost uh, and how it's juxtaposed with Babel. And those people at Pentecost, they weren't, it wasn't revivalism. They weren't like, well, if we do a little hocus pocus and we do a little of this, well, then maybe God will do something awesome. No, they were, they, they were in, engaged in the means of grace. They were, they were studying the word. Uh, they were gathered together uh, to worship God, and God blessed it. How is God inviting you in the mundane to walk by faith? I think he clearly teaches us if we walk by faith, if we look to him, if we rely on him, he will bless that. But you know what? Some of us, we, we retreat or we check out when things are hard. We see you know, what, what lies ahead. I referenced Christian in just, uh, uh, just a minute ago in Pilgrim's Progress. Highly recommend that uh, by Bunyan. We're reading a, a children's version with our kids. And there are so many times where Christian is distracted, dissuaded, you know, uh, Something looks really scary, and he is tempted to just run off the path, right? When things get hard, maybe you're out there and, you know, figuratively or literally sweating in the sun, and you think, I can't do it anymore. This is too much. This is too scary. Uh, I think that this example of Ruth right here, the sun is on her back. She is sweating. She's getting dirt on her hands and her neck and her face, possibly getting sunburned. And, y'all, she is, I believe, motivated by the love of God. Don't let other lesser motivations uh, be what you settle for, right? Think about the, the steadfast love of God. Think about all the ways he has been faithful to you and provided for you and been kind to you. Let that be your motivation uh, each and every day. Don't cut corners. Uh, don't uh, do just enough to get by. Um, I hope that that this example by by Ruth uh, at the beginning of this passage, returning to work and working hard days work uh, can encourage us and remind us um, God will provide for me. I am called to walk by faith. I'm called to work by faith. And I'm convicted, Kelly is convicted, by such a healthy work ethic and good attitude from Ruth. She's doing the right thing for the right reasons. And I know that you and I should be challenged by her example. And we know it's motivated by God. And she is responding in faithfulness. Uh, but, but let's return and kind of continue to unpack the workday and talk a, a little bit about how she relates to others uh, as Boaz shows up. This is verses 8 to 16. Before she breaks to eat, Boaz shows up. And how does the author of Ruth introduce this man uh, in the action of the story? Verse 4 says, behold, right? I kind of emphasized that when I read it. Boaz came from Bethlehem. This guy must be important, right? And we actually heard about him in, in uh, verse 1 of this chapter. But that is, that is the author telling us. That is not a Ruth and Naomi thing. So we're actually told who Boaz is in verse 1. Then we're told that Ruth happens to be working in Boaz's part of the field in verse 3. And then in verse 4, behold, he shows up. But Ruth has no idea that he's there. She doesn't know him. She's never met him before. He's not related to her. Remember, it's Naomi's relative. And he shows up, and I love the first thing out of his mouth, y'all. What does he say in verse 4? Yahweh be with you, right? And his team responds, Yahweh bless you. I mean, this, is, this has been happening a lot, just like we do responsive readings. We just read the, from the Psalter a minute ago. This is a normal thing that he does with his team. 
He loves God and he loves his neighbor. And then in verse 5, he basically says, wait, 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 who, who is that? What's her story? I've never seen her before. Who, who does she belong to? You know, of what people is she? And the young man in charge says, well, that's the Moabite woman. That's the woman who came back with Naomi that everybody's been talking about. She's been here since early morning, and she hasn't slowed down. And Boaz, he may not have met her before, but it definitely seems like he's heard of her. And in verse 8, we transition from the focus of you know, our first point as Ruth takes a break to talk to this man. Look at how they relate. In verse 8, Boaz tells Ruth, listen, don't go into other fields. Stay here and stay close to these men and women. It'll be safer that way. I've given instructions so that no one will harm you. And I think, you know, if you continue to look at Boaz's character throughout this book, this probably was something that he had made clear for any needy person that approaches this field. Um, I mean, he he shows extra uh, love and kindness to Ruth. But I think that this was probably common practice where he's like, oh, a new person showed up. Be sure to care for them. You know, keep them safe. Uh, But he says... I've given instructions so no one will harm you. And then in verse 9, he says, if you're thirsty, there's water here for you. And we're not sure if she cuts him off, but it's clear in verse 10 that after Boaz speaks in in such a a way, uh, loving and kind to Ruth, she, she falls down because she is so overwhelmed with his kindness to her. She falls on her face, she bows to him, and she says, why would you do this for a Moabite? He responds, Ruth, I know exactly who you are. I've heard what you've done for Naomi. I know what you lost, how you left your home and your people, and you came here to a people in a place that you'd never known before. And then I'll just reread verse 12 because it's so good. The Lord, and this is ESV, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, God bless you for your sacrifice, for your trust, for the faith that you've shown. Thank you for caring for Naomi, one of our people. Think about it. By the way, in chapter 1, people say, oh, there's Naomi. Nobody really mentions Ruth. And so it's very likely that they're like, oh, a Moabite. You know, everyone's whispering, but nobody's like, hey, who are you? These might be some of the the, the first kind words uh, One of the first interactions, even, that Ruth uh, has with Israelite people after coming uh, to this place. And this guy isn't just kind. He is welcoming her as a fellow Israelite, as a fellow believer in Yahweh. And so she responds like, "I I found favor. I'm not of this tribe, but you have treated me like I belong here. She, she, she kind of says something like, you, you, she refers to herself as your servant or your, your, your maidservant, even though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Like, I don't belong here, but you're treating me like I do. Y'all, Boaz is blessing this woman who, remember, is covered in dirt. You know, some people try to say, oh, she was probably just really attractive. And Boaz is like, hey, what's up? You can stay here as long as you want. No, this woman is nasty. She's been working all morning. There's likely dirt all over her, you know, hair disheveled. And, and he, he hears of her reputation, and he approaches her, and he says, you know, God bless you. I think this is a, a dance just back and forth that continues throughout the book of, of you know, knowledge of God's steadfast love, but then also, you know, 
being vessels of that love to neighbor. It is a dance of kindness and gratitude. It is a dance of fellowship that believers you know, in God, in the Bible, and today can enjoy. And it doesn't stop there. In verse 14, what does Boaz do? He invites her closer to the table where she sits beside the reapers. She would have been eating you know, off with others. And he says, no, 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 come to my table. He gives her bread, wine, roasted grain, and y'all, she eats from his table until she's satisfied. And then what does she do? She takes leftovers away. Like, what is happening? In Acts 4.32, when the Spirit of God blesses the church with supernatural unity, it says, those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Y'all, there's a connection there. There's sacrifice going on in Acts, and that is what Boaz is doing here. This is sacrifice. This is relating that is only possible by the blessing and presence of the Spirit of God. God is at work through Ruth, but definitely through Boaz. In chapter 2, we really see him shine. We see the Spirit working through him. Ruth gets up from the table, she goes back to work, and his kindness continues to overflow. As he goes beyond the laws you know, that I referenced uh, in that Leviticus reading. And now Boaz, he's just having a good time as he tells these workers, let her glean even among the sheaves. Pull out some of the bundles for her. Leave them for her to glean. Y'all, this is bonus. Like, he's not just obeying the law. He's like, take some of this. Have a little of that. I struggle to think of any story outside of like life of Christ in the Bible that illustrates this point uh, But have you ever been shown this kindness? Has someone ever just been over backwards and not in such a way where you're like, oh man, they're starting to get impatient with me? Maybe you think they are, but they're not at all. I I, I looked at the J curve, which, you know, does kind of go down and then up, but it's kind of like if you cut off the downward part. It's, It's like Boaz's joy is increasing as his sacrifice is increasing. It makes no sense. It just doesn't, you know? But he is just continuing to give more, and it's like his heart is more full as he does it. I am so moved by this passage, and I'm also simultaneously so challenged. Because I don't do this, you know? I might forgive you once. I might give a little bit. But if you interrupt me again, it's like, okay, I got some stuff to do. You know? I I can only give away so much. But let me ask you, how do you relate to others? Are you slow to anger? Are you slow to speak? Are you quick to listen? I think the Bible has so much to say to us about loving our neighbor because we are all so bad at it. But the Bible would not be encouraging us to do it if it weren't possible. And again, as we trust in Jesus, as we love him, as the Holy Spirit works in us, the Bible is clear that this is the kind of love, this is the kind of joy beneath sacrifice that will be produced in us. I love the the phrase... From the Chronicles of Narnia, further up and further in. You know, the uh, the Pevensey kids, I think it's kind of at the end of their lives, so spoiler alert if you're in the last battle. But, I mean, they're just moving further up and further in to Narnia, I think. But the heart of God. And, like, it is this continual journey of joy uh, as we move closer and closer to God. And you and I, you know, we, we hear a phrase like that, and we read about this scenario, and we think, this isn't possible. But y'all, this man, Boaz, if we had the, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey likes to say, 
we would see he was a sinner just like you and me. Boaz was not Jesus. He happens to be walking by faith on this particular day, and we can commend him for that. But let me challenge you. Do you love your neighbor as yourself, or do you spend all your time loving yourself instead of your neighbor? I need to ask myself the same question. Do we spend all our time looking to have others meet our needs? You know, sitting on the couch, waiting on spouse to serve me, uh, or, um, this is the little confession, you know, lying in bed, Baby crying, I hope she hears the baby, you know. I'm going to stay here with my eyes closed. Um, Or, you know, getting up, serving our neighbor, right? Like, Boaz is overjoyed here uh, to consider someone else. And it's not just Ruth, I don't think. It's the, he has a reputation in this community as being a really good dude. This kind of behavior is not human, this side of the fall. But it is what Christianity uh, empowers us to do. Y'all, this is exactly who Yahweh is. I talked about it last time I was here. But y'all, Gentle and Lowly, great book. Because it just twists the diamond of the, the beauty of the heart of God. He is a God who shows steadfast love that blows your mind and leaves you asking why. I am unworthy. I'm not even from here. I don't belong here. That is what Ruth is feeling on this day. And she is full. And Naomi is about to be full too. Remember Naomi said she was empty and bitter. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So let's turn our attention uh, to the evening as you know, Ruth went out to work in the morning. And then she related to someone uh, in the middle of the day. Well, now she's going to reflect on the day uh, as she comes back. Verse 17, uh, this is 17, I guess, to the end of the chapter. Verse 17 tells us that Ruth kept working until evening, and when all is said and done, she has an ephah, which you may think, whatever, a biblical term, I don't get it. That's about 30 pounds of barley, Okay. I mean, carrying that, who knows how far she had to go. It gets heavier and heavier with each step. So she returns home with all she's gleaned, so about 30 pounds, and the doggy bag from lunch. Okay? She had leftovers, and she shares those with her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is like, what? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you and didn't ignore you or hurt you or take advantage of you. Ruth tells her the man's name is Boaz. And, you know, the light goes on in Naomi's head. What? May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, and by the way, right there, Hebrew, chesed, steadfast love, has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's, you know, it's left somewhat ambiguous here whose kindness she's talking about. Boaz's kindness? God's kindness? Because, I mean, I think the answer to the question, who is it, is yes, both. Naomi tells Ruth, this is, this is our relative. This is, this is a redeemer. But Naomi is, is basically just amazed that Ruth has just happened to be there, as the, the writer tells us in the beginning verses. He uses that word. And Boaz just happened to show up. Do you see what this exercise of reflection is doing for Naomi? Lights are turning on. Thermostat is turning up. There's warmth. There is, you know, oh, wow, God is working. The very woman who said she was empty in chapter 1 is showing Ruth now how God has provided. 
telling her who Boaz is, revealing this is a relative, encouraging her to return where she will labor safely under his care. And do you see that at the end of the chapter, it says she kept close to the young woman, women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley seasons. This is probably several months time more that these kind of days happen uh, where it's probably more mundane than this. But where Ruth is returning, she's working, she's going home, she's spending time with her mother-in-law, and she's just being faithful. Let me ask you this. What do the tapes look like and sound like for you when you play them back of the moments, the days, the weeks, the months of your life? Are they filled with regret? Are they plagued by shame? Are they full of what could have been or should have been? I hope not. In our story, as Naomi looks back at you know, years of her life in chapter 1, she's consumed by sadness. And, you know, yes, she recognizes God, but she's like, he took everything from me. He left me bitter. Um, I, I do think that he took things from her to wake her up, to get her attention, to say, return to me. But she was bitter. She wanted to be Mara. And now she's returned to Bethlehem. Uh, And and in chapter 2, she's reconnecting to God's people and to God himself. And her reflection is is healing. All those dead family members, they don't come back. The pain is still there of loss, but Naomi and Ruth are seeing God's provision. They are relying on God's covenant love, his steadfast love, and they are reflecting on their days with God in mind. How might you and I learn the practice of inviting God into our reflection. Not playing the tapes at the end of the day thinking, ah, oh, I should have done that thing. Why didn't I do that? Why am I so dumb? Why am I such a failure? But saying, God, let me reflect on this day. How, how did you provide? How are you kind? How are you faithful? How are you gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love? What if the thread of God's steadfast love isn't just here in this book about those people far away, you know, in another time? What if you and I have the same God and his love is just as strong and he's actually proven to us uh, through his son that he's willing to go as far as it takes uh, and, and not give up on us. I mean, y'all, that's, that's reality. We forget it in, in the day-to-day. I chose Psalm 51, though, as we close, as our scripture reading earlier, because the words of King David, after he's committed a pretty extreme sin of adultery and murder, what does he do? He cries out to God, and what does he appeal to? What is he banking on for God to forgive him? Is it David's obedience? God, remember when I was younger and, man, I hadn't really messed up big then. You know, think about those times. No, 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 that's not what David says. Not his pedigree, his grades, his relationships. No, it is the steadfast love, the chesed, the covenant love, the same love that is referenced here in our story of God. That's what David trusts in. Whether it's in our need, our sin, our joy, we always need to look to the heart of God. The steadfast covenant, of God, covenant love of God to meet us. 
And, and David didn't know it. Ruth and Naomi didn't know it. But the covenant love that all of them and we depend on was actually sealed in human history when Jesus came and satisfied the requirements of the law and the wrath of the law. It was the covenant love of God in action, in human form, in the person of Jesus that actually accomplished redemption for us all. And in him, we have the forgiveness of God. We have the adoption of God and the, we, we have the love of God now as sons and daughters as Paul constantly reminds us in his letters. You are a son. You are a daughter. Cry out to God. Look to God with every step. Invite him into every step. As you maybe don't return this evening and you go back to work, you should come back this evening because we'll be in Ephesians um, and we can close the day out together. But as you return to work this week, as you return to loving your spouse and your kids this week, ask for God's blessing. Ask for God's guidance. Go to his word that is full of, of wisdom. I mean, the law shows, it, it, it restrains sin. It shows us our need for Jesus. But you know, the third use of the law is that it's this map. Um, it, it, we are in the grand adventure of God's story. And the law becomes to us a map. I am your son. I am your daughter. How do I live, Lord? Well, man, he's got a whole lot to say to that in his word. Follow him. Follow his leading. Um, That's an invitation to all of us uh, this week. Let's pray, and then we'll continue our worship with the hymn of response.